Hi there, my name's Ngozi. Because you can't see me, I need to tell you something really important. I'm smoking hot, but I can't seem to get a date. Is it because I'm in a wheelchair or am I just too hot to handle? When I get married, I want somebody to be really excited about taking my knickers off and not having to help me put them on. Someone questions, how can you even make a baby? You know what? I'm not sure what I'm looking for, but I feel I should be looking for that special one. Someone with a brain. Okay, that helps. Don't take advice off me. I'm curious to know why some people find it easier than others. I'm either hypersexualized or desexualized, both very dehumanizing things. Will I find love or something else? Join me on this journey, would like to meet. But a little warning, these episodes can get a little raunchy and cover issues around love, sex and other adult themes. Listener discretion advised. Are you ready? Let's get started. In this episode, I explore, is it any easier dating as someone disabled in the LGBTQ plus community? I'll talk to my friends, Rose and Samara, about their own sexual identity. I do think women are more in tune with saying and actually having like girl crushes and things like that. Because I had a girl crush. I mean, who didn't? I'm probably non-binary and like, I'm just fluid. Like I don't see gender and I don't see gender on myself. It's just about the connections I have in the moment with people. Yeah, which is, I think loads of people like that. I feel like society's made me have to think about my gender because I'm a woman and the state of being a woman in society and all the rest of it. I just see myself as Samara and that's like... But you don't see yourself as female. Not necessarily. Even growing up, okay. it's never been like that, to be honest. I had kind of always fought the idea of what it means to be a female because right, I find it right. quite limiting. Yeah, because even to this day, I'm misgendered. So yeah. I was always misgendered growing up, which I loved because I didn't want to be a girl. I hated being a girl. I knew from a young age, being a girl sucks. I used to think being a female was amazing. And I remember feeling, oh, being a girl is deemed as unworthy and lesser than being the boy. And I remember feeling that even as young as four years old, I got it. However, I just felt that it was a great opportunity to turn that on its back and just be like, two fingers to that. I, I, yeah, I get you society, but I'm going to do and think differently. And I took great pleasure in doing everything that all the boys did, but everything that all the girls did as well. I just thought it was a great opportunity to just be like, well, I'm going to be an all-rounder and show everyone that girls can have best of both things. I'm here at the Gay Village in Manchester and uh, Rosie Smera suggested I should come down and check out the scene. And uh, it's a Friday night and it's a really nice evening. People are sitting out on the roads and drinking and just, just chilling really. So yeah, let's see if we can meet anybody. Oh, I love the village because it is just the place I can go to be myself without any expectations or limitations. And it's just a fun, fab night out every single time. The village is always a place where you can go meet people. Um, something will happen. And, and in fact, you know what? You should go. You should definitely go. You're definitely bound to meet someone. 
in you the read? village. You read yeah. it? What I do love about it is it's just full of people of all different ages. That's what I love about it. Oh my God, look at their outfit. They are, do you think they're rugby or football players? Oh my god, it's a drag queen! I decided I needed a good talk to Claire, a disabled queer woman who's also on the quest for love at the moment. It's easier in a sense to put boundaries in place because, you know, as queers, you know, we have conversations about red flags a lot more, how we can keep ourselves safe. So it is in that sense, but in another sense, it's really hard. You know what it's like being a strong woman? People are intimidated by that sometimes. And the sort of people that I want to date, perhaps, are the sort of people who are probably intimidated by it. So I, I find it really tricky. A lot of the people that I know who are queer and disabled that I've spoken to about relationships recently feel like they have to compromise so for example i was talking to a girl who has bipolar and um she is a fierce beautiful incredible woman and talented you know she's got so much to offer but she feels because she's got bipolar that she has to compromise on certain things that she wants in a relationship because she feels like you know she should be lucky today and I'm just like it's not like that they're lucky to date you this is an element of you and you don't have to compromise because of it the right people should accept that does this not exist you know am I preaching something that is just an ideal when actually in the real world we've got low self-esteem and we are settling for less than what we deserve you know so that is at the forefront of my mind as a disabled person, a queer disabled person dating, you know, do I have to compromise on certain elements? And even though I'm preaching that to someone else, I'm doing the same myself. I feel I can really relate to Claire, a strong woman who knows and speaks her mind. And I feel that some people don't like that aspect of me. I wonder what it is I might need to compromise about. Is there anything that I would actually Want to give up to be in a relationship? I spoke to Kimrina, who was born in Australia but lives in the UK. While in a heterosexual relationship, she has found that the queer way of looking at relationships has been somewhat useful to her. I wonder if it's just on the level of you come out as, of course, I say this and there's no judgment, I'm meaning it in terms of social prejudice. You come out as gay and think of it, particularly in the 90s and early noughties, you, you're coming out as deviant in some way, whereas I'm heterosexual, but my body is perceived as deviant. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit of commonality, but somehow because you come out as gay and there's gay pride and you're collectively fighting against an external prejudice and you've got a community and you've got places you can date and I, I think there might be some level of freedom in that, you know, not to play the pity Olympics. But I think when you're disabled, your disability pride is something that we're still fighting for. And it's difficult because you're seen as a bit crap. Yes. Or the perception is you're a bit crap. Yes. Whereas there's still homophobia, but there isn't necessarily that prejudice of 
you're gay, therefore you're a bit crap. You know, I say that as a heterosexual woman and I know that people, you know, with different sexualities and things have their own battles and a lot of that also depends on the given circumstances. Are you born into an accepting family? Are you born into opportunity? Are your family going to reject you if you come out? Which actually, weirdly, I suppose is if you come out disabled physically, there is a chance your family might still reject you, give you up for adoption, not be able to cope. I found this viewpoint really fascinating. It speaks on the barriers I touched on in episode one when talking about dating. Back in the gay village, I got a lot of attention because of my new wheelchair. Hello? You should get one. Do you recommend it? Yes, I do. Come to me. <laughs> I can't keep up anymore. <laughs> I feel like you're going to do a race. It's interesting looking into the queer world as a bit of an outsider, as I have so many great gay and lesbian friends. I always assumed that it was just easy to date as a queer person. Doa, an influencer and activist, gave her reflection on friends of hers, which provide a different perspective that contrasts others I have spoken to. She said, From my experience and from you know other people with disabilities that I know of, I think because the disability itself is such a shock to the system that people can't even fathom when you come along and say, you know, they can see that you have a disability. And on top of that, you say that you are part of the LGBTQ community. They're like, what? Like you're, you have a sexuality? They, they can understand it doubly on top of the fact that you have a disability. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, makes sense. It's like, how dare you identify as anything? You have no right to identify as, as a human, let alone to say that you are gay or, or whatever it is. And that, again, is completely mind-boggling to me. Is that, have you come across people like that then? That they... Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of people that I know within the community who do express that and, and say that people are just as shocked when they come out and, and talk about their sexuality. And it's like, how can you be? What's different about the queer community? is that they sit outside the heteronormative systems. They can think about relationships and sex in ways that are from the outset different from the norms, which gives a certain sense of freedom to write your own rules. Josh is an activist and writer. Due to his disability, he speaks with the support of his personal assistant. I have cerebral palsy and I wrote about sexuality in The Guardian about five years ago. And because I can't masturbate, I use Grindr quite heavily. Josh uses Grindr, a dating app, which makes it easier to get hookups and negotiate what he needs and wants from guys. Before I started using Grinder, I was very cautious. At one point, I thought I might never have sex. It was all done quite last minute. I remember downloading it one morning, thinking very little of it. And then I went to the library that evening to study for an exam. And instead of coming back with a book, I came back with a student. And that was a really nice positive introduction to Grinder. That sounds amazing, actually. But how does that work? Because, you know, you are in a wheelchair. I'm in a wheelchair as well but you rely on 24-hour assistance. So how does that cooking up work when you have to rely on other people? I communicate with the man what to do. They do it. Or should I say we do it together? I really enjoy the notion that there are different ways to do relationships 
and find connection. Kirana, who is an actress, spoke of othering, and her reflections made me really think about how we can make coalitions across communities of people who are marginalised. I really like the term othering because I think as a society, our identity politics at the moment has meant all of our oppressed communities are fractured from one another. And you do end up going into the kind of pity Olympics of I'm more oppressed than you. My experience of being gay is nothing like your experience of being a little person, Kirana. My experience of being black is nothing like my experience is nothing like you can't know my individual pain. My individual pain is special. My oppression is special. And yeah, that's true because everybody's individual experiences, even in their own kind of collective umbrella, our individual experiences and you can never ever know anybody else's pain and that's very true and I think you've got to be very careful when you try to draw parallels between different atrocities but where I think we've really dropped the ball is where there's some overlap and I think othering as a concept which is the experience of being made to feel outside a group of people and feeling othered, being the kid not invited to the birthday party, being the person given weird looks or treated a little bit less favourably by the NHS or, you know, being the individual who worries, God, would they offer me a respirator if it was between me and that guy? That experience of being othered is much more shared between humanity then I think we give it credit for, and I wish we would talk more about that space, because even an attractive, cis, white, wealthy man has the experience of a more handsome, wealthier man (laughs) walking into a bar and him feeling a little bit less included, a little bit less listened to, a little bit less made space for. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of room for these men. They certainly seem to suck it up when they're around me, the space invaders. Although I'm joking, there is something to be said about the experience of othering that relates to why I connect to lots of queer people, despite not being queer myself. Claire again. There's this narrative amongst queers that people turn to like lesbianism, you know, as a feminist move and it's not that it's just that I feel safer and I feel like my voice is heard by women and trans women and non-binary people more than it ever has been by a cis white man you know and that's that's just knowing yourself and protecting yourself I think and as women we have to do that It was just nice seeing the different characters. There's Guy in a wheelchair, very hot. I've got his numbers and I'm going to ask him out. (laughs) Um, So see what happens there. But it's really weird because I'm not part of the LGBTQ plus community, but everybody is welcoming. You know, it's one big family because we're all really minority um, in this world of heteronormative and whatever. So it was just nice just to watch people and you don't feel judged, you feel part of something. And I think that's what's brilliant about the village because it's such a great atmosphere, very welcoming. Oh my God, I've got to go. I've got to get my last tram and I do not want to be wheeling home. So this is me saying goodbye. 
Would Like to Meet was created and presented by Ngozi Uchuku. It was produced by Andrew Westall. Series produced by Lucy Bell. Production managed by Naomi Turner and edited by Celia Hutchison. Production assistants were Takuse Rizive and Cheryl Nutbean. It is a documentary theatre production supported by the Audio Content Fund. <laughs>